On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host Dr. Cale Bigelow, professor of horticulture with a focus in turf grass management and ecology. It was an awesome episode with an absolutely incredible human being. Uh, Dr. Bigelow has done so many incredible things throughout his career, working with so many incredible people, and we are so honored to have him on the podcast this week. We dive into everything that has to do with Purdue Turfgrass and really what has happened the last 20 years since he's been there. Um, the incredible opportunity for students to attend the undergraduate program while looking to f- uh, further education in the graduate school. Um, we get into some of the research projects that he's done over the years and how he has this thirst for knowledge and trying to further his education each and every year with his research with different opportunities, whether that's going to different events, uh, learning from different types of individuals, different types of field, uh, turf grass managers in all the different areas of turf grass management. It truly is an incredible uh, episode that you don't want to miss out on. So we hope you enjoy this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good afternoon and welcome to the 74th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller. Today we have an incredible guest. We have Dr. Kale Bigelow, the professor of horticulture with a focus in turf grass science and ecology at Purdue University. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. How are you? Oh, you know, we're, we had another frost this morning in April, so that's fun. You know, always, always fun. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've uh, seen those things and um, I was in a a graduate students committee meeting at 1 p.m. online and uh, he is not from here just from a little further south in the transition zone and he mentioned he had seen that we are yep there it is Tuesday of next week chance of frozen mix so uh, there you go he, he asked if that was unusual or not and I said well you know, and I, I've lived here at Purdue since uh, 2002. Uh, my experience is it's it's abnormal, but um, not unlikely that we would have something <laughs> the second week, third week of uh, April. You just never know. So that's, that's the, the the nature of the transition zone, you know. <laughs> It is, and uh, as the uh, Virginia Tech graduate and um, fantastic extension specialist, Dr. A.J. Powell, uh, God rest his soul. Uh, would say, uh, you know, the transition zone, a place where we can grow all grasses equally poor, right? So. <laughs> it's very true. Very true. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's, I forget who told me that, but if you can go grass in the transition zone, you're, you're going to be okay moving forward in this life. You know. <laughs> well, it's, it, it might take some years off your life, but it is, uh, <laughs> it, it is definitely a different year every year. Right. Absolutely. So. I mean, last year, I think it was pretty warm. Uh, earlier on uh i think probably we had some bermuda waking up first week of april you know so i it's it's all crazy to me and we deal with it in ways that we try and we all have different kinds of budgets which is always fun to see how certain people are taking care of certain things and how we're able to do it so that's why i enjoy it and i think it's awesome to be able to teach kids in the transition zone so they see both sides of it you know Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm Uh, so we yep. first met at the VSTMA field day last year, coming up on a year, actually. Yeah. Down there um, in Williamsburg, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. I Are think they having might... that again this year? Think... Yes. We're doing it in Richmond, I believe, this year. Um, a little bit. Northern, okay. So okay. cool. Um, should be fun. 
Uh, we're actually doing some uh, regional field days too. So we're doing one at Brentsville at our high school, and then they have one back down in Williamsburg. And I think there's one that's going to be Southwest Virginia. So, but we're doing more with VSM, which is great. Um, with that, you are probably a big proponent of stuff that goes on in your area when it comes to the uh, branch of, I guess it's SFMA now. Um, what has it been like for you? with the university and working with the fellow sports field managers in your state to bring education together and bring all the different areas that are in need um, that your knowledge is just, again, priceless for the managers around the state. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a lot of different opportunities and um, you know, one of the things that uh, you know, Purdue has had this relationship with for, over 75 years uh, is the Midwest Regional Turf Foundation. And, uh, you know, that is a mechanism with our university, uh, which has the mission of uh, raising, raising monies for turf grass research and education uh, at Purdue University. And, you know, that might be uh, here at Purdue, but it also involves all the educational events that uh, myself and our extension, um, our extension specialist, Dr. Aaron Patton, uh, you know, help to put together uh, across the region, right? And so some of that might involve sports turf, um, some of it might involve golf turf, some of it might be multidisciplinary across lawn, golf, and sports. Um, but that's 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 a big thing to us. You know, we have a very large field day. Uh, we execute the uh, Indiana Green Expo. We have a turf and landscape seminar, which is held in it's like a two-day little workshop thing. Uh, we have an herbicide workshop that travels around the region. Uh, so there, there's there's a lot of things with that. And then embedded in that is, uh, you know, a variety of different uh, educational opportunities for our sports turf managers. That's incredible, especially the fact that it's moving and allowing more opportunity for more individuals across the state. You know, that's awesome to hear. Um, with that, obviously, as a professor, there are so many things that go into your job. Could you sort of discuss some of the uh, responsibilities of you at Purdue and how uh, involved you are in curriculum with students, obviously educating them? What has it been like for you over the, I think you said almost 20 years now, a little less than 20? Yeah, that, that, that's correct. That's correct. So what has it been like for you over the years and how have you sort of seen it change as well when it comes to your job as a professor? Yeah, and I'll, I'll sort of back that up a little bit because I think that, you know, a lot of people, they see someone like myself or, you know, someone like Dr. Sandor or Dr. Goatley or Dr. Askew or Dr. McCall or, you know, some of my colleagues here and they, they just see that title of professor. And um, the reality is, is that pretty much anybody that's working at, you know, what we call a land grant institution, you know, whether that's Virginia Tech or the University of Maryland or NC State or Clemson or Purdue or Michigan State or, you know, pick your land grant institution. Uh, the reality is that when we're hired, uh, they pay us out of more or less three different buckets. And it might be a combination of one of those buckets or two or three of those buckets. In, in my case, it's actually three buckets. And so my, my primary emphasis is the undergraduate uh, curriculum, undergraduate recruiting, you know, undergraduate career kinds of things. And, and so that takes up, you know, probably 
somewhere close to 50% of my time. The rest of my appointment is I do have an applied research program. And so uh, within the TURF faculty here at Purdue, like it is at Virginia Tech, is, is we have five different people with different disciplinary um, focus areas. You know, so we have a weed scientist, we have a disease person, we have an insect person, we have a physiology person. My particular area based on my training is uh, turf grass soils or soil fertility. Uh, I also organize and um, uh, conduct research on, you know, essentially what is the best grass for fill in the blank. And, you know, we're interested in, you know, grasses that would be used for golf courses, sports fields, lawns, uh, low maintenance, high maintenance, all those other kinds of things. So, you know, uh, ultimately it's, it's, it's what, what funds that. So, so the reality is, you know, on a, on any given day, just like I saw you put on your hat and you move your hat around there is, is I'm switching, switching through hats, you know, here and there and everywhere. Um, you know, I was on a, on a graduate student committee, committee meeting thing earlier today. I was talking to my own graduate student. I checked in on some research plots. I got a phone call from a, a homeowner up in Northern Indiana that's thinking about seating his lawn this weekend. So it's, it's, it's moving around and doing a lot of different things. Some people have the, the luck and or luxury that they might be, say, 80% research. So they're very, very focused on uh, their research programs. And, um, you know, that, that, that can be kind of nice. I, I, I think I, um, I kind of love the chaos in the sense that, you know, I've got to go do research. Oh, no, I got to go teach this class. Oh, no, I got to go and answer this phone call or go do this extension thing. So it's, it's uh, extremely variable. So I guess the reason I say that is, you know, if you had somebody that's listening to this and they're like, oh, well, I want to be a turf grass professor. There's lots of ways to do that. You know, if you're extremely introverted and you don't, you don't do well in a classroom situation, that's okay. There maybe is going to be something for you that maybe you geek out on the research part of it. And, you know, that's how you contribute. You go to the field days, you go to the educational things, but on a day-to-day kind of situation, you don't have to be in front of people. You know, if you're a teacher, you got to be in front of people. But at the same time, there's plenty of papers and everything else to grade too. So that's that's a little bit of a time suck. So, absolutely, I love how you said the different hats because you know, it's so true. And it's funny because from university to university, you sort of see how people are trying to change those kinds of things. Because Dr. Sander was 100% education. You know, there is no research attached to his contract or anything, which I'm sure he does plenty of anyways, because it's just sort of in his blood, I'm sure. But uh, then there's Pam and Ohio State and everything sort of shifted where she has a little bit of everything, just like you and um, certain people. Again, I don't know what the solution is to that. And you guys do such a phenomenal job. So people are like, all right, we'll just let you keep doing what you're doing, you know, (laughs) which kind of is rough in the sense because they don't understand how much you guys truly need. And you guys really should have more resources available to you. And you guys have to put in the extra effort to get those resources. So um, hopefully we can bring more awareness to that and have more people get more involved. Um, one, I don't know if you've talked to John Ludwig at all, um, over in the UK, Leicester city. Um, no, I really haven't. So he just opened up a sports turf, uh, uh, academy and the football club funds everything in that academy, but it's attached to the football club. That's awesome. So they have awesome. a professor, they can do certifications, they can do doctoral programs, they can do the whole five, wow. nine yards, and it's all funded by the football club, which is awesome. Um, if there's any way we could do something like that with some of the other teams over here, that would be awesome. But um, 
with that all being said, what has been sort of your favorite part of that sort of three pot process, the research education, or is it all sort of just equal? And I'm just asking a dumb question right now. No, it's, it's not a dumb question. And, and honestly, I, I think about that a lot because, you know, especially as we went through the COVID kind of thing. And I think a lot of people kind of, you know, had, had a little bit more time where they weren't necessarily as overscheduled as we can get uh, to kind of pull back and, and think about, well, what, what do I really, what, what brings me joy, right? You know, what, what, what brings me joy? And, and honestly, as I, as I kept kind of going down the list and taking those three buckets, I'm like, okay, which one should be on top and which one should I focus on? Um, I, it, it's extremely hard, right? And I enjoy working with the students and I have, I have a passion uh, for working with the students because I realized that if, if our industry doesn't have people that have good, sound technical knowledge, um, there's a pretty good chance that you know, people are going to get underpaid in some of these positions and they're going to get undervalued and uh, some decisions are going to get made for the care of the turf grass area, whatever that is, lawn, sports field, uh, you know, golf turf, utility turf that, that maybe isn't in the best interest of the turf grass manager. And um, so I, I, I've, I've, I've latched onto that. But at the same time, it is definitely pushing up or pushing a rock up a hill because, you know, getting students, just even students and their parents for some of this awareness of our industry and the opportunities that could be there as far as getting into a university is, is increasingly challenging. Um, but I, I'd say I'd put that one as 1A. Um, I've always been uh, you know, a fairly curious person. So the research side of things is uh, something that gets me excited too, because you know, like I like like we talked about at the opening, you know, no two years in the field are the same. So you might see something this year that's like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. And then the next year it's like a, try and duplicate it and you can't. Uh, so that's that's always kind of fun, uh, just in terms of you know, trying to identify some practical solutions to maybe a turf manager's problems that they're having. You know, maybe it's water, maybe it's fertilizer, maybe it's you know, some some sort of pest control and um, you know, if you don't have a healthy turf, the pests can be a lot more of a problem. And then the other part, you know, I, I'd say, you know, a, a very close, close, close third is the um, engagement part where we go back and we talk to the turf grass professionals. And, you know, at, at the outset here, you know, I, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. And, you know, in a lot of ways, some of these young people that have come through are kind of like, you know, little brothers, little sisters. And, you know, that's places that you see people and you're like, oh my goodness, this person's having a child and this person's getting married. And oh my goodness, I remember when you did something really dumb on your internship and now look at you now. And uh, so that, that, that's fun. But the other thing is they, they, bring, they bring questions to me about the concerns they're having in their workplace with respect to turf grass management. You know, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm at this place now that has extremely poor water quality or I've got shade issues or you know, do you have any ideas about this that then suddenly feeds right back into my research program? Um, and, and so it all, it all intersects, but there are some students that, um, there are some students that definitely want to, uh, you know, just be in a quiet place like a laboratory and that's okay too, but that's, that's just not my personality. I'm with you on that one. COVID tested me on that one. I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> 
on the quiet space for a long period of time. So I agree with you on that. Um, But that's awesome. All that is great. Um, And I really love how, again, how it's really close to each other, you know, it's, and it all sort of connects in a way, you know, overall, you're always going to have to communicate with those that need your help, which sort of, again, sort of function together. Um, Now I kind of want to, take a step towards the program in a sense. Um, congratulations, by the way, two national championships at SFMA and GCSAA. Uh, really incredible. Uh, it's a really big feat as a professor and as a, a, a department to have teams do that back to back in two weeks. Um, what is so if you're trying, sorry, what is your recruiting pitch sort of in for students to come and join your program at Purdue? And I'm not saying like over other programs, because no. there are some great programs in this country, obviously, but what is it that's special about Purdue? And what is that great opportunity for students that want to further their knowledge in turf grass management? Well, no, I'll, I'll go back to the back, you know, the, the, the two organizations uh, championships in, in one year and, you know, I know a few years ago, Penn State did that with uh, ben, ben McGraw. And I was like, you know, that really would be kind of cool to have both of those trophies uh, sitting in our um, sitting in our building together. But it's there, there. there's so many things that can come into play, you know, whether or not that actually happens or not. Um, I was extremely fortunate. Uh, I've got a group of upperclassmen and I also have someone that that, uh, you know, helps me just just like uh you know, peanut butter and jelly and, um, you know, person that, that, that is behind me and, and make sure that, uh, checks my homework for me. And that's, that's a, that's a woman that's doing a PhD with me and her name is Jada Powell. And, you know, between me organizing some of the students and her organizing some of the students and, and making sure that, you know, we're both herding the cats together. Otherwise it, it probably wouldn't happen. So, so that was, that was really cool. And, uh, I saw Ben at the golf show and I was like, you know, you're the one that inspired me to want to have both of these things together. And he's like, Oh, that's not true. And I said, well, it is kind of cool, but back, back to what you're saying about Purdue. Um, you know, we're very fortunate here at this university because uh, the Purdue, the Purdue brand, if you will, you know, whether it's uh, you know, whether it's us or another land grant institution that, you know, just has done a really good job in terms of, um, you know, marketing and uh, lots of people out there graduating on, uh, it's, it's, it's really strong. Um, so people are attracted to that brand. Now, now typically, you know, the, the, the strengths of our university and our, our, our profile is not really any different than what you might see at Virginia Tech in terms of its strengths. Uh, you know, and, and I am a Virginia Tech two-time alum with a bachelor's and master's. So, you know, that place is obviously near and dear to my heart. Um, but we're, we're very similar in terms of they're both, I think when people hear, the, hear either of those institutions' names, uh, other than ACC basketball champions, right, um, produce, produce uh, you know, they play basketball really well. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, but, you know, Virginia Tech, you know, and Purdue, it's both engineering is first right? Uh, science is second. Uh, and then our, our administration here at Purdue uh, has made a very strong commitment to agriculture. Uh, that, is, that is very important to uh, this region of the United States. You know, we are on the eastern edge of the Corn Belt, and, you know, there are some very successful 
uh, you know, production growers on the corn, soybean, wheat, you know, the, the crops that are really important in this part of the world and uh, are used for so many different things, including feeding people. Uh, so that, so, so that piece of it. And, you know, as I talk to families that come and speak to us and it, and I was no different at the age of 18, uh, would be that, okay, wh well, what are you going to do when you graduate? Right. And so if you have a, if you have a degree and everybody in the college of agriculture, you know, gets a degree, um, you know, from Purdue university and just says college of agriculture, uh, if you put your degree on a resume and it says Purdue university, or it says Virginia tech, or it says university of Florida, or, you know, pick, pick whatever land grant that's there. That's, that's got a, a very high profile kind of, uh, kind of name. I think that speaks a lot for itself. You know, you could go and, and I've had students that over the years have switched and gone to medical school or dental school or financial planners or, you know, I've got a young man that was here with me very early in his career um, and, and uh, tried on the golf course side of things for a while. And it just wasn't a good fit for him long term is he works for a surgical steel company. Right. But, you know, it's he, he's got that Purdue diploma uh, and he can probably take uh, care of his lawn in a, in a very high level. He's got golf course experience at, at a high level, but it just didn't fit his lifestyle to stay in the turf grass industry. But he has that Purdue diploma. Right. Uh, so I think that attracts uh, people to a certain extent. Now, the downside to that or um, Virginia Tech or, you know, a number of our institutions is the admission to our programs has been increasingly more difficult. Um, we're fortunate here at Purdue that we have sort of a workaround for the College of Agriculture uh, for a student that admissions deems, you know, is, is marginal academically. Uh, and, you know, the, the folks that they hold into high esteem are the people that are applying to the College of Engineering, which, again, that's, that's a different type of student than what we would get in the College of Agriculture overall. Uh, but we have a, a, an agreement with uh, the local uh, community college where students can actually come to Purdue. They can live in the West Lafayette campus, uh, but they essentially start out with over half of their classes at the community college, you know, those basic science classes. And then they earn their way in the door and finish off the last two years here at Purdue and, and um, you know, kind of do their thing. Uh, we probably don't promote that enough. Because uh, there's there's advantages to that program. It's called Pathways to Purdue Agriculture. Um, it's actually cheaper, you know, because you're not paying full boat uh, Purdue tuition those first two years. You're paying partially to the university here, but you're also paying the community college aspect. And it gives that student that maybe is coming from a you know maybe a smaller high school or a rural background or something that that is not typical or doesn't fit the demographic profile of the engineering and science students that when you come to a campus of 40,000 students, they, they, they might flounder a little bit initially and gives them a chance to, uh, get, to get to know people like me and uh, other advisors and faculty in the College of Ag. And uh, I, I tend to think that we're fairly supportive of students. And we kind of like, hey, Billy, hey, Susie, you know, you, you can do this, but here's what you got to do. And here, here's, here's the formula. And they don't feel as much like a number and they can, they can, um, they can, they can get comfortable and they can execute and they can find their career passions. Definitely. But it's not, it's not the football program. I can tell you, people don't, you know, if you're a big <laughs> Purdue, if you're a big football fan, there are other universities that probably play football uh, more consistently at a high level than Purdue. So, hey, you got to love but that. But it's a cool, line. it's a natural grass field. I was going to say, you got to love field. that sideline oh. that they put out there with the train tracks. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that might be yeah, the best in the my, country, you know? 
Yeah, our our uh, our sports turf, and that and that's something else on the on the Purdue side of things. And I think that most of the other turf schools are probably in the same boat. That you know there are opportunities to work at the Purdue golf courses. There are opportunities to work uh, with our Purdue sports turf crew, and uh, that's 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 pretty awesome. That's especially during the school year. Absolutely, and I, I, another thing that might be good to add on to the idea of going to community college while there the classes are not as difficult in the sense of those classes were created for the freshmen and sophomores to weed them out. The biologies, the chemistries, the organic chemistries and all that. I remember I had a friend, she flunked out of the bio class twice and I'm like, it's biology. It's not even the chemistry, which is the biology. So Mm -hmm. um, it's probably a lot easier with the community college courses in there. So um with that, obviously, well, small, smaller class size that too, too, and yes, I think that yeah. sometimes that helps. Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. You were going to uh, follow up. My apologies. <laughs> no, no, no worries at all. Um, you talked about how you're a double major at Virginia Tech. Um, what was it that brought you to turf? You know, and even more specifically, what was it that brought you to again the sort of professor and research side of things? Because it is a very small not small but like a very specific way in the turf industry you know because with golf superintendents and sports field managers they're all kind of like well i love the sport love being outside and whatnot research is such a critical part of what we all do because you guys are the ones that sort of push the envelope on knowledge and cultural practices and how we can improve upon them and you guys are always testing to try and make it better for us what is it that brought you to this point and what brought you sort of the idea of becoming a researcher and professor in turf grass management well, I, I think it goes back to, you know, what I talked about earlier is, you know, I've always been a fairly curious person. Um, I, I, I like to do things with my hands, you know, whether it's to fix something or build something or, you know, that, that problem solving uh, thing has always been there. Uh, the other, the other aspect is uh, I, I do like to be, I do like to be outside um, to be stuck in a building where, um, you know, you had to work in a cubicle or an office or something like that, that would be soul crushing to me and, uh, would, would not have a, a positive long-term outcome, I think. Um, but, but the reality is, you know, when I, when I went to Virginia tech, um, I was interested in becoming an engineer because that's kind of what I thought that was the right path for me. Uh, my father was, uh, an auto mechanic for all of his career. And so I was around cars and race cars and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just go off to college and be an engineer, maybe a mechanical engineer. And I'll go work for, you know, General Motors or, you know, do something of of that nature. Uh, And then I had a dose of reality probably halfway through my first semester there at Virginia Tech that um, that plan of study probably was not going to line up with where my strengths were longer term. And so I was like, okay. Well, this doesn't feel right. This this shirt doesn't fit, if you will. I mean, it's it's a nice shirt, but it doesn't fit. Uh, I was like, okay, what's what what else is out there? And uh, somehow, some way, I realized that uh, Virginia Tech had something related to golf and golf turf. And I got in touch with at at the time uh, one of the extension specialists uh, and uh, instructors was a gentleman named Dr. David Chalmers, and I met Dr. Chalmers. And we connected and he liked golf and I liked golf. And he's like, Hey, if you want, you can come over to the college of ag and over there in Smythe hall, we visited. And, uh, by the end of that semester, I was sold. I was like, 
All right, engineering, we'll see you later. I'm on my way. You guys can have your uh, five-hour calculus, and I'm going to go over here and take uh, these plants classes. So it, 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 it all worked out. Enjoy your statics and your, your dynamics yeah, yeah. and all that. Correct. My roommate yeah. was a, an engineer, and he actually became a teacher because of all that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. don't look at me. Fit. I can't do any of that math. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> No, for sure. And he was, it was yep. the same thing for him. It was like, well, there's all the stuff that I, I enjoy in it, but I don't know if it's the right way of doing it. So he's a math teacher now, you know, and he wanted mm-hmm. to coach baseball mm-hmm. and it was a way to figure out how to use his engineering portion and take it and do something that will make him happy, you know, which is awesome. Um, and you brought up Smythe. My mind just went, oh, man. <laughs> uh, good good memories from Smythe, you know. Mm-hmm. But then, but then the next the next piece to your point is so I spent you know a bachelor's and master's there at Tech with with Dr. Chalmers and uh, when I I was ready I was ready to be done six years was enough uh, and um, my family was in Northern Virginia there was an opportunity at Northern Virginia at the Robert Trent Jones Golf Club and so I had done an internship there and I returned there because they were having the the President's Cup in two years and so I participated in all that. But at the same time, I, I knew there was there was there was another door behind the door. And I was like, I got to go through another door. And it just happened to be that um, we used to get this this newspaper. It, I don't know if it was like golf news or something. And there was an advertisement uh, announcement related to some of the USGA funded uh, research that had just been uh, awarded. And there was a there was a project on putting green construction at NC State. And um, we had just done like anything that the PGA tour tends to get involved with. We had just done a fair bit of construction things in preparation for the, for the president's cup. And I was like, you know what? I like that construction stuff. Um, And I like the, the questions and science around, you know, what's the best way to, you know, answer that question. Uh, And so I contacted uh, Dr. Dave, Dan Bowman at NC state. And I said, Hey, this is where I am in my life. Um, I'd like to talk to you about this project if you're looking to hire someone. And the long and short is went down, visited. And, um, you know, I had, had a lot of anxiety to tell my boss. I was like, hey, I, I think I want to go do a, a, another degree. And he was like, Kale, when you're done, you're going to have more degrees than a thermometer. And I don't know what that's going to mean, but you, you, you probably need to go do it. And so, again, you know, he was extremely supportive and, um, that's when I moved on to NC State and, uh, you know, was, was able to continue to do some research. And like I said, I think there's, there's always that question inside my brain of, of is there a better way uh, on, on, on the practical side of things? On that one. I know you're going to have more degrees than a thermometer. <laughs> uh, so you, you're, you know, we're right by RTJ. I have 12, mm-hmm. 13 students interning there this summer. So uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're like five minutes down the road. So that's awesome. Who, who was the super when you were there? Uh, it was a gentleman that's out at the Cal club in California. His name is Glenn okay. Smickley. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so the, the current superintendent, he and I were working together uh, during that president's cup. And then, you know, he sort of did his education over at Maryland and ascended there to, uh, to the role that he has now, Scott Furlong. Yeah, Scott. He was, and he was a teacher actually before he became a superintendent. So, uh, correct. They're at a Centerville High School, I think. Yep, 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 so, yep. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how people get into turf. It's always, and that's what I love about this podcast is hearing how things happen and where you're at and 
it's great to hear again furthering that education and the process of doing more you know especially i'm sure you worked on uh greens constructions down at nc state and what's the proper way of doing it how can you do it better um what was your research at nc state for your doctorate yeah so it was it was a project and i forget the official title it was like new technologies in construction of you know potting greens and, and essentially it, it it broke down into two pieces because you know, first and foremost, you know, North Carolina, and especially at the time, this was pre-Ultra Dwarf Bermuda Grass World, is, you know, golf course managers were looking at ways to try and maintain creeping bent grass, um, you know, with more vigor into those summer months. So there was, there was a component of, um, of the root zone that needed some exploration. And uh, there was a turf grass pathologist at NC State at the time. His name was Leon Lucas. And Leon Lucas, along with some others uh, like Bruce Martin and, and other turf grass pathologists in those Carolinas and Georgia area, you know, they were getting reports of, you know, golf course managers having severe difficulty getting into those August and September months. And, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Dr. Lucas and Dr. Caro at the University of Georgia and others, they had they had um, uh, coined this term of SBD, you know, not silent, but deadly, but summer bent grass decline. Okay. And so one of the, one of the key factors for that was a lack of oxygen in the root zone at the, um, uh, during, during the stressful times of the summer. Okay. So, so the thoughts were, okay, how do we attack this and try and uh, optimize uh, soil oxygen levels? And, you know, one thing would be the root zone construction piece. You know, if you've got sands that are too fine, uh, there could be excess soil wetness, or if you have irrigation management, that's not correct. You know, that's going to be a problem. Uh, But the other piece of that was, uh, looking at essentially a very, very large wet dry vac, okay? And this idea of being able to extract or vacuum out uh, excess moisture or putting it in the reverse mode, actually injecting air into the root zone. And so USGA had committed uh, a fair number of dollars to a couple few projects um, throughout the Southeast to look at those things. Now, the other piece of my um, uh, of my research was looking at different types of soil amendments for the sand-based root zone, because there were some concerns that our traditional uh, amendment, uh, sphagnum peat moss, was possibly breaking down. And as that, sand, as that sphagnum peat moss were breaking down, that was possibly causing some of the pore structure within the root zone to be compromised, and in, in essence, becoming too wet. And so we looked at a variety of different uh, uh, organic and inorganic amendments. Uh, we also looked at, you know, this device to try and extract water and blow air into the root zone. Um, we looked at nutritional properties. I linked up with a microbiologist there, Dr. Art Wallum, and uh, did, a, did a fair bit of uh, Petri plate work looking at how quickly things like bacteria and fungi and other organisms were populating these different types of root zones. Um, it was a lot of work. I mean, looking back, it was a lot of work, but it was also a lot of fun. And, and, and I was, I was like a sponge, you know, I, I just wanted to know. And, uh, I was at a different point in my life and it was just me and my wife and a dog. And, uh, I'd go into the lab late late at night, just trying to answer these questions. So it, it was fun. It was fun. Sounds incredible. And especially all the people that were involved, it was, it just seems awesome. And that's what I love about your guys' work and everything. It's just how many connections can you guys make and who can take the information from what you have found and create something that 
has a product and which benefits all of us as sports field or golf course or homeowners or lawn lawn care companies uh, mm-hmm. to benefit the plant, you know, and that's, that's what I love about what you guys do. Um, and to sort of go along with that, um, you've had so many different publications that it comes to your work and research and whatnot. And you sort of spoke to how the industry professionals sort of put ideas together for that research. What is it that you're looking for specifically when you start a research project or a trial or something? How do you make the decision of, and you said soil science is sort of your focus and that can go anywhere really. Um, What is it that you sort of are looking for and you're working with to create that sort of project and move forward, finding that sort of product that you want? If that makes sense. Well, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, with the exception of a few universities that have some endowments that uh, you know provide some supporting funds for the project, I think the number one thing that all of us are looking for is money, right? We have an idea, and then we have to write a proposal, and then we have to try and hope that it gets funded, and and you know that that's kind of what uh, you know causes some direct causes a project to move forward is, is, is it does take quite a bit of money, you know, just, just to even flip on the lights to get a student to help you, you know, you're looking at, you know, uh, mid, mid forties per year, you know, $45,000 a year, just, just to start to do something uh, to pay the student and uh, some of the fees and, and that kind of stuff. So, so that's part of that. Now, now, like I said, there are some institutions that have some endowments that, you know, offset a lot of that cost. And then you can, have a little bit more uh, wiggle room to work um, on a project that's 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 interesting to you, um, but you know, f- for me, I'm looking for something that, that aligns with my personal interests and um, also has probably got some practical aspect to it. Uh, you know, a couple areas that you know we're working in right now. Uh, one of those uh, has to do with uh, water use or water needs, I should say, uh, of primarily lawn grasses. And it's this idea of, you know, we at some point are going to have, even in places like Virginia or, you know, central Indiana, we're going to have some water scarcity issues. You know, Indiana gets roughly 50 inches of rain in some parts of the state per year. Uh, But we do have some extended dry periods. And, you know, if you look at some of our maps, uh, climate maps from the last 10 to 15 years, there's there's these periods in the late summer when the turf is most disadvantaged that, you know, the, the plant seems to need some water and, you know, how do, how do we attack that and how do we give tools to people that are managing turf grass areas so that a, they don't lose the turf completely, but B that the turf is extremely resilient and comes back and is nice, healthy and dense going into the fall. Uh, the other project that we have, and, and I mentioned her, her name earlier is, you know, my student Jada Palin is, is, um, has been doing some things on, on turf type tall fescue and, you know, are there ways that we can uh, possibly use fewer fungicides in the summer months or make the plant more healthy in the summer months uh, so that uh, it can sort of fend off, uh, fend off rhizoctonia blight or brown patch. And uh, that, that's got a lot of moving pieces and it's all practical kind of stuff. You know, do we need to feed it more? Do we need to make sure we select the right cultivar? Are there things we can do to reduce leaf wetness and, you know, is this something that maybe even a lawn care company could integrate into their uh, into their potential program or or their offerings in case we get situations like we had uh, in suburban Maryland where, you know, they were banning cosmetic applications of pesticides, right? And so, how do you how do you how do, how does someone like myself that that can play around with these ideas 
how do we have a tool that's in the toolbox in case that happens and someone in the in the policymaker side of things suddenly puts a policy into place, right? And uh, you know that we're not just reacting; that we're actually making that uh, making that reaction based on some sound science. So, yeah, and it's it's getting more and more prevalent when it comes to again lawmakers and everything that we're doing. Um, I know the GCSA has done a lot of work with legislators and whatnot and trying to ensure that we have um again sort of our asses covered in a sense so that we can still do our job <laughs> it's probably the best correct way, but it, um correct but go yep. ahead sorry no no go ahead um with that again I, and I, I i'm always interested with soil science because that was something that i struggled with in school um and i'm not blaming my professors for that it was just something that I always tried to comprehend again, cation exchange capacity and all the different things that go into it and understanding that what you're putting in is what you're going to get out of it. What is it for you that has been sort of that research aspect of it, bringing it into the classroom and sort of having your students understand that there are different areas in which require more work, but at the same time, we're trying to better those areas. And how have you been able to sort of take your undergrad students and sort of bring them into your research, if that makes sense? And I'm sorry if that was a little vague. So if I understand what you're asking me, yes, it's, sorry. it's, it's how, 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 do, how, do, how, do we, how do we get some of our, our students more engaged in the research process? Is that yes, kind of what you're the asking? probably the best way to put that, yes. Yeah, so there's, there's a couple uh, different things that we'll do. Um, you know, for our introductory turf class, maybe not quite as much. I mean, we, we've done some of the kind of the, the same kind of things that, you know, people like Dan and I, I know um, uh, Mike Richardson have done, you know, where we, we, we do turf baby competitions and we give them something. You can manage this little baby as well as you want and you can try and grow a big, you know, Afro bushy plant or you can just kind of leave it there and do nothing. I mean, we do some of those things just just to get them to, you know, even engage and, and try some stuff. Uh, for our second turf class, which is uh, sports and golf turf uh, specific, is we will do uh, demo research things through the semester. And, you know, might even be just something as simple as, you know, 10 pounds of ryegrass versus 40 pounds of ryegrass, annual ryegrass versus perennial ryegrass. You know, do you feed it? Don't you feed it? And we do some of those kinds of things just to kind of get them to understand a little bit of our world. And, and you might find, uh, an individual that, that just has those extra questions, maybe kind of like it was when I was their same age and they just wanted to know more. And, you know, at that point, maybe there's an opportunity with one of our researchers here that they can uh, get paid to do some things. Um, but, you know, we, we talk as a university, as a college about creating lifelong learners, right? And I would consider myself a lifelong learner. You know, you, you just never stop because things don't stop. And if you do stop, then you're going to get left behind. Uh, so it's, 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 it's at least instilling that uh, idea of, you know, trying things and not being afraid to fail um, and, and asking the question. And if it doesn't work the first time, maybe try it again. So that's, that's, that's been usually my philosophy. Absolutely. So with that philosophy, is there anything here in the future in the next few months, next couple of years that you're hoping to sort of dive into and see, uh, some new findings. And again, like you said, it's a never ending thing. And lifelong learning is something that I'm a big advocate of with my kids is even if you're not entering this field, there's so many things that you can learn 
from your time here that you'll look back on and you'll see different opportunities, whether it's your home lawn you're taking care of in five years when you when you have a house, or if it's again pursuing something similar to this field, you know, what is it that you're looking for uh sort of in the next cycle of research uh at Purdue? Well, I, I think that, you know, it's really important and, you know, I, I've spent some time with some uh, pretty high level turf grass managers over the last few months uh, in different educational events and, and things like that. And, you know, I, I never lose sight of the fact that, you know, what a turf grass manager does, what a really good turf grass manager does that has a lot of resources, uh, there's still an art to that. Okay. And, you know, we have... Uh, improved methods to test things. Uh, there's a lot of research that is happening around the microbiome, which, you know, in, in, in very simple terms, you know, kind of dials back to some of the research I did with, um, with my PhD, trying to identify, you know, different groups of organisms that are in the soil and, uh, you know, whether they're there and what they do and, uh, you know, how can, how can we understand if this is there, do we need that? Um, and, and maybe get some more prescriptive kinds of uh, plans towards things. Uh, our ability in that space of the soil, of the plant, of temperature, of moisture, of growth rates, you know, temperature trends, you know, we'll definitely get more towards data-driven approaches towards precision turf management. Uh, and that's going to be exciting. Uh, but I, I never lose sight of the fact that, you know, there, there are folks that have what we call the green gene, you know, that, that gene in their DNA as a turf grass manager that, that they just know, or they, they're able to soak things up and they can connect the dots. Uh, so, so, so that value of a turf grass manager, a really, really good turf manager at a place that has a lot of, a lot of resources to, to really shine. Uh, that cannot be overlooked. I mean, you can do soil tests, like I said, and you can measure moisture and you can measure this, that, and the other, but there's still something about, you know, that chef that's in the kitchen that tastes the sauce and they know whether I got to put a pinch more of this particular salt in there. Um, it's, it, it's an important piece of that, but what, what I'm getting excited about is uh, maybe being able to do these things with a little bit less labor. And I don't know what that looks like, but, you know, being able to, uh, be more proactive because you have some predictive tools that you don't have to suddenly react and suddenly allocate too many people to things. And, you know, an example of that would be you put out the wrong nitrogen fertilizer and you suddenly get a huge flush of growth that requires mowing, which is an extreme expense. And uh, that doesn't work out too well. I, I love that. Uh, it's always interesting to hear, Ken, because you have so many different ideas and you have so many different people what is it like for you working across sort of uh, departments in a sense? Is there anything that you've done that, again, you've seen the benefit of working with them and seeing their results in comparison to turf and comparison to other types of horticultural plants? Um, and how has that been? What has that been like for you uh, specifically in your research over the years? Um you know, we, we work across departments regardless because of the turf team at, here at Purdue. I mean, we've got faculty in entomology, agronomy, bot, botany, plant pathology. Dr. Patton and I are in the horticulture landscape architecture department. Um, a few years ago, uh, he and I had uh, relocated from the agronomy department to the horticulture and landscape architecture department, which I, um, which, you know, initially was kind of a, a little bit of a, a, a different arrangement. But one of the things that I really 
uh, have valued about moving to this different group of people was the landscape architects, right? Landscape architects, um, they tend to be a little bit more artsy fartsy. Uh, my landscape architecture faculty, they, they dress a lot better than me and have shinier shoes. Uh, so, so they come at problems a little bit differently, but we're both talking about sustainability, right? And so if, if they're looking at, you know, sometimes we're looking at a sports field or we're looking at something, you know, that, that, that might be 40,000 square feet or less is, is they're thinking big. They're thinking, you know, if you think about, you know, um, uh, you know, Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, they're not just thinking about the grass inside. They're thinking holistically about everything, including water coming from the parking lot to, you know, entryways to, you know, the building and this, that and the other. And, and I, I, I really enjoy talking to them about, well, you know, if you do this, you know, suddenly you want that thing to be that high on that side of the building, you're going to cast a huge shadow across this field that's going to make it a pain in the butt for that person that's managing things. They're like, oh, I never really thought about that. Or, you know, just because you took a green crayon and you drew this, that Kentucky bluegrass is way different than zoysia grass, right? They're like, oh, I didn't know that. So, so those kinds of people are, are interesting. By the same token, um, you know, what we do as turfgrass managers in the College of Agriculture, sometimes a little bit of a challenge because we're not food, we're not fiber, and we're not fuel. We are an amenity crop. You know, we're not blueberries, we're not apples, we're not tomatoes, we're not corn, we're not soybean, we're not pigs, we're not cows, or, you know, th there's no food source. So, so trying to communicate our value uh, is, is a little bit of a challenge at times. But at the same time, you know, when I see, <clears throat> when I see some of my researchers that are dealing with some of those production crops or horticultural crops, um, there's things that we can learn there, right? And, you know, there, there's, you know, I, I didn't know as much about corn until we lived in Indiana, but, you know, there, there are different, um, you know, uh, different lines, different genetics of corn, some that stay greener longer, right? Well, uh, turns out that there's actually turf grass plants that stay greener longer under drought stress. And, you know, that's a physiological, potentially a physiological advantage in certain situations. And so looking at the potential science of why some of those things happen and how we can use some of those plant traits, they're both grasses. Granted, corn only gets mowed once a year. Bluegrass gets mowed a lot more. Um, but are there things in there that, you know, physiologically that we could potentially learn from each other are, uh, are, are sometimes some interesting questions. Still laughing at the shiny shoes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, but that's that all. Sound... They, they, they just I, they, they they must they must they must get a uh, they must get more of a clothing stipend than I do from the department. <laughs> I don't know that too. You know, you never you know landscape designers they they have their uh, different programs they can design with, and that, that's that's what's nice about my landscape class. Like, hey guys, you need to think about what's going on around your structures, around mm -hmm. your hardscapes, around yep. your trees, all that. So. That's hilarious. Um, and you, okay. So a little bit of a shift and it's, it's something more with like the educator inside, you know, you were talking about your PhD student a couple of times and obviously you work with your undergraduate students. Mm -hmm. What is it like for you to sort of be that mentor and showing them the way down the right path? you talked about how some of your students ended up being doctors and whatnot. And that's a tough thing to do as a as a person who's in charge of a collegiate program you know having students move from your program to elsewhere what has it been like for you to be that mentor in their life and to be able to again you were talking about seeing them grow up and learn from their mistakes and all that 
what has that been like for you over the years? Um, you know, I'm a parent. I have two children. Um, they're basically grown now, but you know, I, I guess I always kind of look at it through that lens and I, I look at my own story and my own narrative. Um, and you know, what I thought I was going to do at the age of 17 or 18 is, is, you know, not what I'm doing now. Um, I think I also tend to be a fairly reflective type of person, uh, with respect to different, um, different things, different seasons of life, all, all those other kinds of things. Uh, I also am I'm very, very aware that, you know, when I was 17 or 18, you know, it's not like I, I, I charted GPS coordinates to, you know, this place in West Lafayette is, you know, I, I'd never been here before. I didn't, I didn't know. Um, and so I, I, I take all those things into account and I, I do try and talk to our students as, as they come in and, and try and get a sense for, you know, what do they really want? You know, what, what's, what's, what's going to work for them? Because we have this whole spectrum of opportunities uh, in the turf grass industry. It could be, uh, you know, could be with an equipment company. It could be at a golf course. It could be at a high level golf course. It could be at a low, lower level golf course with less resources. It could be at a, you know, major league baseball field. It could be at a, you know, major league soccer. It could be, you know, you have circumstances that, that are keeping you in a certain city and maybe you can open up your own business or, or is this student entrepreneurial? Um, is this student, uh, you know, a, a better Indian than they are chief? And it wouldn't be a good situation to put them in a, in a, in a leadership role that they're not ready for at that moment. And suddenly there's, there's, there's things that are not going to work out too well for them. And I still come back to the fact that, you know, a place like a Virginia tech or a place like an NC state or a place like Purdue that, that has a strong brand, um, they can be as successful as they want to be. And so I, I, I try and, we have to put everyone kind of in this one box of their, you know, in our major. Uh, but I also understand that each of our students is, is unique in their own way and um, they, they need to kind of find their path. Awesome. I mean, that's the best way to look at life, you know, especially in any sort of leadership role, any mentorship role. Um, and I, I really appreciate it as the, me being a teacher and whatnot of, of everything you've just said. So, um, we sort of ended on these last two questions because I'm always interested to see who sort of got theirs, where they're coming from and why they want to know. But the first question is, is what is something that you wish you knew when you first started off in this industry? And it's not something to make it easier or better or anything like that. It's just something that you wish you knew sort of entering that time, uh, at Virginia tech going into turf grass. There's something I wish that I knew. Um, that's a really hard question because uh, I, I, I'll be honest. I was fairly naive at that age on on some things. I wasn't as focused. I was, you know, neither of my parents had graduated from college at that time, so I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, I think the the thing that maybe I wish I knew was that you know it's. I, the students that are around you, that it's okay to ask them for help and to form some, uh, that, that you don't have to do it by yourself. And I think that our institutions over the years have increased the amount of support that's there for students uh, compared to where things used to be. Um, and now you have, you know, you've got so much information right there in your pocket on your mobile device. Um, but 
um, I'd say that that's the thing is it, it, it's okay to fail too. I wish I, I had had that. Uh, you know, I got a D in freshman chemistry and uh, that was, that was a pretty strong wake up call. I, I, I quote unquote went to a college prep high school and uh, I just, I just wasn't ready for that big class size that sometimes we face during that first semester as a, as a freshman. Um, so I think that moving over to the college of agriculture in some ways saved me because the class sizes were not that big consistently for the rest of the four years. Um, but, but that would probably be the one thing is uh, knowing that I was going to be walking into some of those big classrooms and that nobody cares whether you're there or not. Honestly, you know, you've got a parent yourself. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I mean, you're a number in most professors grade book when it comes to the 500 in the class and the helping yep. people. I couldn't like Lucas Rector, if you're out there, uh, agronomy major, uh, he saved me so many times on just, learning and whatnot uh, he was a farmer so he knew a lot of what was going on and i was a uh, northern virginia kid who had never been on a mower yet so, <laughs> so it was stuff right. like that right. where uh other people definitely help out a lot um it's something in college especially when you you I mean you're without your parents like you were saying and whatnot it's so true and leaning on people is something that can get you through a really hard time when it comes to sort of the, your first when it uh, on your own so um, I, that's incredible. Um, with that being said, uh, the last thing that I always love asking, um, what would be your best words of advice for students like mine who are looking to enter the turf grass industry and really just entering the world? Graduation's coming up in a couple of months and it's just everything's about to hit them in the face in sort of a way uh, that they're not really prepared for. So what would be your best words of advice for them? Um, I, I, I think the first thing is um, always think about, regardless of where you are, is, is where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in five years? And think about that strategically uh, in the sense that who do you want to align yourself with and how do you find yourself uh, a, a willing and meaningful mentor to get you to that point? Okay. Um, and that could be somebody that maybe is going to teach you how to run a business that could be in, you know, in my circumstance, you know, I, I, I knew that, you know, education is one of the very few things that can never be taken from you. Right. Uh, you can be fired from a job or, you know, all these other kinds of things that can, that can be negative things in your life, but education can never be taken from you. And in many situations that education is a key to open another door in case something gets taken from you. Right. And so that five-year plan, that strategic thinking, uh, finding mentors, uh, identifying brands and not being afraid to fail because, you know, when you first take your first job, a lot of people kind of feel like they're unprepared for what they're going to have to deal with. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't teach at the university, but if, if you have something from uh, a, a better brand, that suddenly gives you credibility. And so don't, don't be afraid to uh, invest the time, especially early, early in your life when things are a little bit more flexible, to uh, you know, fi find your path. And it, it will change. It will change. I guarantee it. I couldn't agree with you more on that, the changing part. I never saw myself as a high school teacher, that's for sure. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been absolutely incredible, uh, and we really appreciate it. 
No, I, I appreciate it too. And um, you never know, I might show up at a sports uh, field, uh, manager's field day there in uh, somewhere around Virginia this summer. Cause I, I learned a lot from those folks and, you know, I can bring some of that back to, I see, might see something or learn something. And I, I can bring that back to our, our, our folks here in Indiana. That would be incredible. It'd be awesome to see you again. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate it.